Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders, hosted by Cheryl Toth and Mike Sakopoulos, and produced by the American Association for Physician Leadership. The people who are good leaders continue to improve their skills. They continue to look for ways that they can help their people do better. When physician and employee trust falter and the long-standing culture of a health system is at risk, letting a physician lead brings the wisdom of experience and compassion for patient care to the C-suite. Today on Sound Practice, we talk with General Surgeon Michael Kennedy, CEO of Holzer Health System. Dr. Kennedy stepped in at a critical time and has successfully rebuilt trust and employee engagement. Hear his story and why he believes training physicians to be leaders is essential to health system success. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders from the American Association for Physician Leadership. I'm your co-host, Cheryl Toth, and I'm here with co-host Mike Sakopoulos. Say hello to the folks, Mike. Heidi ho And today, Mike and I are talking about how to build or rebuild employee trust. Um, Mike, have you ever been in an organization where there was a lack of trust? <laughs> I'm in those all day long. I'm an attorney. That's, I mean, that's one of the uh, places that uh, lots of uh, clients come from, troubles that uh, have originated from lack of, of trust. So unfortunately, yep, I'm right there. See it all the time. It's very corrosive, awful for organizations. How about, uh, how about you, Tothi? Well, yes, and I, I completely agree because here's my story about how corrosive it's been in, in my background. A uh, number of years ago, I was in a startup company where everyone did trust each other. You know, that's how it always starts, as you, oh, that's how it begins, you say. Yeah. <laughs> 20, there were maybe 20 of us. And then we got some investment capital and the investors decided to oust the founder Ooh. of the company. And, and they did it a really coup. suddenly. Yeah, it was literally it was a coup because it was just an overnight thing. And they replaced him with a guy who had zero experience in the healthcare technology space and the way they did it was super disrespectful, and the way they communicated it to everyone was even worse. And uh, I just knew my days were numbered at that point. Well, and, and were they? Yeah, well, I think I lasted maybe a few more months. I mean, the company went bankrupt about, I'd say about 18 months later. The replacement CEO drove good people out and um, drove the company to the ground. So after a while, all the good people had left. And they just, I mean, literally, they had to turn the lights off and they were done. Yeah. That's grim. Well, certainly bad things happen when leaders erode trust. Mm-hmm. It's not good for employees or the organization. And that's why we've invited Dr. Michael Kennedy to be our guest today on Sound Practice. He stepped into the a role of CEO at Holzer Health System at a pivotal time, and he had the reputation and credibility uh, to restore trust and keep the organization moving forward. He really did. Um, Dr. Kennedy shared some excellent insights about what can go wrong and has uh, when uh, leadership goes sideways. And I know it can happen in any organization, but I think when it happens in a hospital like Holzer with a hundred plus year legacy, Mm. it's got to be really unsettling to people who've been, you know, with you for a really long time. Um, And Dr. Kennedy was deeply invested in seeing the organization succeed so his ideas for rebuilding trust are just terrific. Well, yeah, I, I agree with that. This is, this is a great interview, so people should, should stay tuned for this. Well, and uh, we're going to play that in just a minute, but before we get to it, let's do word of the show. What do you think? Yeah, this is a perfect way to lead us in. 
All right. So Mike, are you ready for another fun word? Because I'm still on my fun word kick. Lay it on me, Tothy. What's your Okay. Today's fun word of the show is teradiddle. A teradiddle oh. is a fib or pretentious nonsense. Okay. You, you had me at diddle. Anything with diddle in it, I'm, I'm all for it. I really like this word. <laughs> me too. And let me give you a little bit of background because it's interesting. Merriam-Webster says that there's a myth that teradiddle was born in the town of teradiddle, Ireland, <laughs> But that in and of itself is a teradiddle, a fib, because there is no such town. So we don't really know where the word teradiddle comes from, but according to Merriam-Webster, we do know that the word has been a favorite of writers and lyricist W.S. Gilbert of, you know, Gilbert and Sullivan. Oh, yeah. Those guys <laughs> used it in two operas. So nice they used it twice, Tothi. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> it's no teradiddle. I like this word. Very fun. Very fun to say. This this goes to the top of my list. Thanks for that. Yes, it is quite fun. And with that, let's play our interview with Dr. Mike Kennedy. Great. On with the show. So I'm here with Dr. Michael Kennedy, general surgeon and chief executive officer for Holzer Health System in Gallipolis, Ohio. And we are so happy to have you here, Dr. Kennedy, on Sound Practice today. It's my pleasure. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, an interesting path that you've led um, in your health system, and I'm going to let you tell that story. But we really appreciate your time. We're here at the Fall Institute, and I know you have a lot of demands on your time here, so we're glad you spend a few minutes with us. Sure. So let me, for the listeners, I'm just going to give them a little background about you if, if they've not heard you speak or teach yet and they probably will have that opportunity. You're, so I said you're with Holzer Health System, and that's a two-hospital healthcare system with 13 ambulatory sites and post-acute care offerings. You're located in southeastern Ohio, and you cover five counties along the Ohio River, and uh, 2,400 employees, 150 providers, and you oversee, you lead the whole, whole um, health system. You've been there for quite a while, and I thought I might start there because the organization hasn't been there as long as you have, but you've got a great story about where you started and how things evolved um, up until today. So why don't you just share with us? Sure. Well, the organization as it currently exists has been an entity for about seven and a half years. I've been there for 25, but Holzer as a, as an entity of some sort has been in Southeastern Ohio for almost 110 years. So that's really a long time. It it is (laughs) quite a while. And it uh, started by a gentleman by the name of Charles Holzer, and his son really ramped the organization up in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and it grew into what it is today. But I joined the organization as a general surgeon with Holzer Clinic. We worked very closely with and were effectively joined at the hip to Holzer Hospital, both of the same name. The community really didn't know the difference, but one was a for-profit and the other a not-for-profit organization. And about seven and a half years ago, after a couple of years of negotiation, we were actually able to merge the two organizations. And for about the 15 years before that, had been in many ways collaborating, but in many ways competing. So it was a, a necessary end to the separate organizations to allow us to function in a more collaborative fashion. Good news, bad news. The good news is we were one organization. The bad news is that 
maybe our strategy for who we would be as a collective organization wasn't as good as it could have been. So we had a few years where we struggled financially. We had a lot of duplication services that contributed somewhat to that. But it took about three years and a turnaround group to come in. Mm -hmm. And one could argue the, the uh, exact amount of success that we achieved through the turnaround organization, but it did help us uh, with the finances to a certain extent. The problem with that was that the consultants who came in and helped us with some of those issues, all consultants of that nature, go away at some point in time and the, then we are left to figure out what's next. And so we struggled a little bit more and about three years ago had some financial challenges that led us into new leadership and I got the opportunity to be the chief executive officer of the organization at that point in time. Not that I'm God's gift to executives, but was able to make a few changes that helped us to coalesce as an organization and improve our culture from what we had at the time, which was a little bit of a culture of fear into more of a culture of trust. What do you think uh, was the genesis of that, this culture of fear, the two organizations coming together, given that you were there so long? What's your perspective on that? Well, my, per my perspective is that it was just a lack of effective leadership. And I think understanding the culture of a rural, geographically isolated healthcare system with some people who obviously have to come in from the outside. We don't grow docs on trees, so we have to recruit physicians from the outside. But most of our talent from uh, a, an employee standpoint has to come from the inside. And I think it's my opinion that most organizations who bring in outside consultants never really get the benefit of those people understanding the culture that has grown from 110 years of history. So they uh, tend to use templates, cookie cutter approaches, things that may work well in a lot of places, but don't necessarily fit the culture of a, a rural place such as ours. And so I think that there was a lack of understanding that we needed to grow a lot of our talent from the inside rather than depending on outside talent coming in. The time it takes to develop street credibility, for lack of a better phrase. It's actually a great phrase, because you're right. <laughs> is, is, uh, is hard. And uh, when we have people who know the organization, grew up in our communities, know all of the people, and have the network already developed, it's easier to train those people and the skills that they need to let them be better leaders than it is to bring someone from the outside who may already have the necessary skills, but doesn't have the culture commitment to the organization to make it work well. So you assume this role, you've got this landscape here with some of the, the lack of leadership. How did you, as you stepped into that role of CEO, inspire change, inspire new leaders? Uh, tell me about that. Sure, well, the business concept of a burning platform is kind of critical. We didn't need to set a fire because we already had one going. <laughs> we were several million dollars in the red for the first three months of our fiscal year and really worried about uh, missing bond covenants and things like that and legal ramifications of, of uh, where we were headed. So in some ways, change in a, in, uh, in a situation where you have the burning platform is a little easier than down the line because there's so many fires, you just take out your fire extinguisher and start pointing it at different places. And so 
we did that. It was a little bit disorganized at first, but we realized that we had some things to do. We started focusing on the revenue cycle, obviously, early on and made some had some real nice wins in that in that area. But to gain the confidence of the organization, obviously, I'd been there 25 years. Most people knew me. I'm a general surgeon. Uh, I'd taken care of a lot of the employees and their family members over the years. So I was a known commodity. Uh, obviously, probably some people liked me and some people had issues, but I, uh, I did call all of the management team into a room the very first week after I got the opportunity to do this job. And I told them a couple of things. One was that I trusted them and that I believed that they needed, they had the knowledge and the skills that they needed to do their jobs. And the phrase that I used at the time and, and has been uh, kind of memorialized at this point is proceed until apprehended. If they do the right thing for the patient on the front lines for that reason, they may make mistakes, but we've got their back. And that seemed to resonate through the entire organization. And another thing I did was to uh, make sure that they knew that I was deeply vested in this by telling them a little background. We had had a reduction in force about a year before this that if we had to have another one, which I couldn't project, but I didn't intend to have another reduction, if we did, that my name would be at the top of the list to leave the organization because that means that I've failed if we have to do that. So that seemed to be a rallying cry. And, yeah. and I think help, let them believe that I was vested in the process as well. How do you remember the implementation of this proceed until apprehended, which I think is really interesting. How did that change people's commitment the culture maybe, you said it built some trust. What tangible things did you see from employees? Well, I think part of the the whole, and I'll do a shameless plug for my online course called Proceed Until Apprehended <laughs> yeah, you should. through AAPL. <laughs> you have four hours of CME credit if you're interested in more of the details of how we accomplish that. But it's about a culture of fear, which I think we were in at the time. People uh, weren't allowed to take initiative without asking permission first. They felt that they, you know, in fact, a lot of folks have told me since that they walked around every day trying to keep from getting noticed because mm-hmm. they just wanted to do their job, come in and go home. And so we had to change the culture of fear to a culture of trust. And I think freeing them by telling them they were allowed to do the right thing created an environment that began to develop the culture of trust that we needed. And what are some of the lessons that you learned as far as the these fundamental, you know, you, you talked about the burning platform and those early time early days of your tenure putting these things in place. What what do you uh, you know in hindsight what might you have done differently? I'm not sure I would go back and do anything differently. I think I, the the thing that I have tried to do is be myself and recognize that I'm a surgeon. I think I do a pretty good job as a surgeon, although I don't do much of that anymore. But I think that admitting that I am not the expert in every field was critical. And I have a good CFO. He understands finances. I have a really good strategy officer, and he understands how to create strategic initiatives. And I let those people with the same philosophy, mm-hmm. do the things that they did. And so I didn't pretend to be the expert on all issues. And I think that 
as a physician leader in a CEO role, you have to understand that unless you're open to the possibility that you don't know everything, which is hard as physicians. I mean, we are smart people and we do know lots of things, but the world of business is not necessarily our forte, but we have people who are really good at those things and let them do their job, let them take the initiative and then they own it. And then they're able to develop more trust in their team because their team gets to function at the higher level. So what are some of the things that you feel when you look at how you're growing some of these physician leaders internally, what would you say have been the things that have worked well in building the organization that way from the inside out? Well, I think being intentional about physician management and leadership education has been a turning point for us. The staff obviously looks up to the physician community to lead them. They will follow. It's better if the physicians are prepared to be good managers and leaders than to just let them haphazardly do it. And we have been intentional about that process by using uh, the CPE program and encouraging, we now have four CPE physicians, certified physician executive physicians on our staff. And so there's that collective knowledge of uh, going through processes that give them similar ex exposure and experience that has been helpful. And we've gone to physicians one-on-one -on -one at times, someone who's identified early in their career as a potential future leader, mm -hmm. getting them early exposure to opportunities where they can gain an interest in being a better manager and leader has been important to us as well. So how do you identify those physicians on an ongoing basis? Do you have a, an assessment process or is it you know sort of word of mouth conversation Somebody seems to be particularly engaged. Yes, <laughs> all of those things. Uh, usually people will show an interest by either volunteering for a committee or volunteering to be in a position on the medical staff or to take ownership of a project. And when we see people who have an interest, then we try and nurture that. And I have several different avenues that are available to send physicians through different types of processes. One I mentioned was the CPE process. We also have uh, an arrangement with a clinical psychologist in Columbus, Ohio, which is a couple of hours from us. And he has uh, a program that is a 10 month long program that he puts individuals through, not just physicians, we've got managers and physicians who go through this, but it involves a deep internal uh, self-assessment and then a formal 360 assessment to allow the individual to get a better idea of where their strengths are, where their weaknesses are, and different techniques and strategies that they can use to improve in the areas where they need help. Uh, we have uh, physicians who are enrolled in master's programs of a variety of type. Most commonly, they will uh, pursue an MBA, but we have some who are interested in medical management degrees, uh, healthcare administration degrees, and things like that. Anyone who shows an interest and gaining knowledge from a management or leader, leadership perspective, we try and support them to the greatest extent possible. Does the health system in, invest in that uh, education or is that on the physician? How does that work? A little bit of both. I think there's value in having a little skin in the game. We have the ability for our senior physicians to use some of their uh, member expense uh, dollars that they would otherwise use as income to direct toward that. But we also have funds that are set aside 
for the degree programs. If someone is showing an interest in becoming a certified physician executive or getting a master's degree, then we have pathways that they can go through to get approval so that some of the cost of that is offset. And so now that you've done this full court press, if you will, in creating this culture and education is happening and physician leadership is higher priority, how do you think that you'll maintain that from a succession planning standpoint? I mean, are you recruiting people, recruiting still from the outside sometimes, but then do they go through a leadership program internally as part of uh, being onboarded in the health system? Well, our physicians, we obviously, for the most part, have to come from the outside. We just don't have the physicians growing up in our communities, yeah. <laughs> like uh, in bigger cities. But for our management team is pretty much local. We, we hire people all day, you know, all the time and uh, every week we're, we hire new people. But as they progress through the organization, we try and identify the ones who have uh, aspirations that and that potential. Correct. So now, how would you describe the trust and the culture of the organization today? What adjectives would you use to describe it? Better. I would say that we have pockets of superb. Mm -hmm. We have pockets where we can still improve. And in fact, one of the things that I've found is, as I mentioned before, early on with a burning platform, it's a little easier because just about anything you do in the right direction, uh, you get a win. Mm -hmm. Uh, As we do better, so the first year we got from a $5 million deficit to almost a Mm break-even. The second and third years, we have posted profit over budget. And while those are numbers, numbers indicate success in a general way, we uh, are looking for ways to continue to improve our culture. So the latest initiative that we've uh, embarked on is what we call the Holzer Culture Commitment. And about a year and a half, two years ago, my strategy Chief and I were discussing, what do we need to do next? What's, we're getting better. We're not where we want to be, but how do we approach that? So about six months ago, we brought all of the directors and vice presidents into a room together. There were about 40, and the executive team was there for the entire day, but didn't do much besides observe. And the focus of the day was to get the directors and vice presidents to come up with a strategy to improve the culture to the place where we wanted it to be. So the good news is that they embraced our mission and vision, which our mission is a little unique. It's uh, friendly visits, excellent care, every patient, every time. It fits us well in a rural community. The vision is based on six core values of quality, friendliness, integrity, respect, service, and teamwork. Q first is the acronym we use for that, so it's easy to remember. But the strategy that they developed focused around those six things. And over a couple of months of distilling it all, we've come up with an educational offering that all managers, including executives and myself, will go through over the next eight months to really determine, okay, we've got values. We have a mission. How do we embody, embrace, and really own those in a way that makes sense? How do we hold not only ourselves as individuals accountable to live the mission and vision, but how do we hold each other accountable in respectful ways uh, that work for the organization? So that's the process that we're starting right now. So it's a year from now, and we're having this conversation again. You're looking back on what's happened since all of this is you know, this put in place. If you had a magic wand 
what would be the key things that got accomplished over this next year looking back? Well, one of the things we look at is engagement. The way that we track that typically is our yearly employee engagement survey. So I'd like to see next summer's survey show that we've made significant improvement in several of the metrics that we look at. And I won't go into the specifics of those, but we've got several that we are following very carefully Mm -hmm. to make sure that we are headed in the right direction. And we also have a physician engagement survey. And actually we get fairly high level participation in both of those surveys over the last few years. So we know we're getting at least they're answering the survey, mm-hmm. which is step one. Yeah, it is step one. And then <laughs> if we see improvement in some of the alignment and engagement scores, then we'll know we're heading in the right direction. So, and, and obviously we want to do well financially. Yes, we want to do well financially, <laughs> yes. Um, so if physicians listening are thinking, you know, gosh, I would like to sort of set my eyes on a CEO role or COO role in, in a health system, how would you advise them in terms of how they look at their career path? We, we are a little unique in the fact that our code requires the CEO to be a physician member of the group. Mm. I th- I'm hearing more and more of that happening. Yeah. And I think that a lot of organizations are looking for physicians to be leaders in CEO type roles. I would suggest make sure that you're a lifelong learner and it doesn't have to be just about medicine. The people who are good leaders continue to improve their skills. They continue to look for ways that they can help their people do better. Uh, I think a long-term commitment to an organization like AAPL Mm -hmm. is, is critical and the educational opportunities that we provide not only in the Certified Physician Executive Program, but all of the educational offerings are real boots on the ground, practical types of courses that you can take a course and go back and use the fundamentals that you um, have learned Mm -hmm. the next week. In fact, I'm in the middle of taking one today that I've already learned some things that I've written notes down that I'm gonna employ in my practice next week. So uh, continued engagement, continued learning, openly admit that you don't know everything and uh, let the people that can help you, help you be successful. In our closing uh, thoughts here, any additional pearls or things that you wanna let physician colleagues know? Proceed until apprehended. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Perfect. Thanks so much for being here, Dr. Kennedy. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. What a great conversation that was. Proceed until apprehended. That is right up my alley. I believe in a similar um, approach to life, Dothy. I, knowing you as I do, Mike, I have witnessed this in you, and it's courageous. It's a very good quality. Well, you know, as a child, um, my mother really didn't think so, but I often pushed her to the edge. Well, don't we all a little bit? And I guess maybe Uh. there's a line that gets crossed when it's family, but what a smart leadership strategy for building trust. I mean, trust your people to do the right thing on the front end in the first place, and they'll use good judgment most, if not all of the time. I mean, that's what, in my experience, Mike, that's what happens. If, if, if employees know that you trust them to make the best judgment, they typically will. I, I think you're absolutely right. And Tothi, we should remind listeners that Dr. Kennedy has developed a course for AAPL with the same name. Uh, he mentioned it during your interview, Proceed Until Apprehended. 
-hmm. If physicians are interested in taking it, they can check out the AAPL's uh, website, physicianleaders.org. Yes, thanks for that reminder, Mike. That's good. And with that, we're wrapping up our episode. So if you got a few pearls out of our interview with Dr. Kennedy, we hope you'll tell your colleagues and encourage them to subscribe to the podcast. Yes? Absolutely. And Tothi, you know, we'd also appreciate it if our listeners would please review the podcast. Uh, They can give us a rating or review uh, right from their podcast app. Yes, and I hope at least one of you listeners out there will take a minute to do that this week. Maybe you could even do it right now because it really does help us out to get those reviews and ratings. That it does. And if listeners would prefer to give us feedback directly or make suggestions about the podcast, they can do that by emailing us at feedback at soundpracticepodcast.com. And please join us next time on Sound Practice. Don't forget, we release a new episode every other Wednesday. Bada bing, bada You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts so you can automatically receive our episodes. And please rate us and comment on the podcast in iTunes and Google Play. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at American Association for Physician Leadership. We are the world's premier organization for all aspects of physician leadership in every sector of healthcare. Learn more at physicianleaders.org. Pat is holy cow. Batman and Robin. Rick Kapow.